may be seated. Those of you who are still standing, that is. Well, good morning, everyone. Once again, it's always a pleasure to see all of you. Hey, Sean, you can go ahead and turn this off, if you don't mind. Oh, I got you. Okay. Turn your Bibles, if you would, this morning to Titus, the book of Titus, yes. Uh, I do want to apologize. I know we've already kind of wandered and went through uh, Titus, but um, today I would like to come back to a few verses to deal with the subject today that I think is extremely important, definitely to the heart of God. It's Titus chapter 2, verse 7. Titus chapter 2, verse 7. Which reads, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, have nothing evil to say about us. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today. We come through the precious righteous, perfect blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we come to the throne of grace boldly, as the Bible says, confidently. We seek your face this morning, Lord, strictly on what Christ has done in our place. Lord, we ask now that the Spirit of God would enable us to hear your word being preached. And hear what you'd have to say to us this morning, Lord, that you'd enable me and, and give me the strength and the power to be able to proclaim your word, to preach in, a, in, in spirit and in truth, to worship you by the preaching of your word, Lord. Lord, thank you for allowing us to gather when so many in different countries aren't allowed this privilege. Thank you for giving us this liberty and this freedom, Lord. We don't want to waste our time talking about trivial things, but we want to exalt you today. Exalt the King of Kings. Lord, let us unite this morning in the worship of your Son, Jesus Christ. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I know we've just recently went through the book of Titus, but there's something that I believe that the Lord continues to draw me back to, and I'd like to deal with the subject of what it means to be a good influence, uh, obviously not in the world's terms, but in biblical terms. I mean, I think uh, a major part of the Christianity that we see in America has really lost its influence, lost her influence in many different areas. And I, I think this is a point that we really need to deal with and deal with ourselves personally as well. Have we lost our influence? Are we influencing people for the good or the bad? What is the motive of our influence? What drives us to do what we do? The Apostle Paul made it abundantly clear, at least in this epistle to Titus, that no one was excluded from the responsibility of being a godly influence. 
The apostle had given directions relative to the conduct of old men, of old women, young women, and of young men in all respects. And this means in all areas and in all things. This isn't humanism and it isn't, obviously it isn't self-help, but it's really what the Bible would define as the spirit-filled life. And this is why you can never follow the term fake it till you make it. Because we know fakers, fakes, go to hell. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. And if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So we're not preaching self-help this morning. This is to be a better person or to be a better influence. You have to understand the reality of our influence is derived from Christ. It's abiding in Christ, which brings out this reality of a very godly influence, uh, not only in our own lives, in our own families, in our church and in the world, but it comes through our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 22, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And have we not cast out devils? And in thy name have we done many wonderful works? You know, Jesus also shows us in the word that there's many of us who hide behind status, hide behind things that we do here as the Pharisees had done through their prophesying and casting out devils and doing many wonderful works. And if we're not careful, we can hide behind certain things thinking that we're a very strong influence by what we do opposed to who we are in Jesus Christ. And it can be very deceptive because a lot of times we can define our lives and define our influence in life by what we do. But it's not really about what you do. It's about who you are in Christ. We can hide behind achievements. We can hide behind status. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 1 through 2, he says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men, to be seen by men. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do the fakers do, in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have what would be called the glory of men. And then Jesus goes on to say, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corner of the streets, that they may be seen by men, thinking that they have some kind of influence by what they do. Oh, wow, look at how he prays. Look how he fasts. Look how he does all those wonderful things. What a godly influence he is in our culture. But it's quite the contrary. Jesus is calling them hypocrites. Then he goes on to say, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. And this isn't where we want to be. We want to be in the right place and doing things for the right reason. But we, this, our, this culture and this nation really demands a godly influence. There was a time in history where the church itself had a strong influence in every realm of life. They were even feared by kings, feared by the government. They had respect from the people. There was authority that was there in the church. And I think today we've lost that 
authority of the church in every arena of life. And I think it's our responsibility as believers to recapture that authority that Christ has given us. See, remember, influence isn't what we do. It is who we are. And it's who we are when no one is looking. I may be able to stand up here and preach a good sermon this morning and put on a great show in front of all of you this morning. But if my life doesn't at all line up with the reality of what I'm preaching, then I'm most certainly a sham. I'm not saying my life needs to be perfect. I'm not saying I'm going to fall. I'm not saying I'm not going to sin or screw up, make a fool out of myself. I do those things. But the reality is, is that there needs to be some comparison of who I am behind the pulpit as who I am behind closed doors. Because that truly is the influence that I have. I can stand up here and put on a good show and you guys all think that I'm something that I'm really not. What a tragedy. Even the Bible says that you can give your body to be burned publicly for Christ. But without love, it is absolutely and utterly worthless. The greatest act that we could do for God in the public eyes is to die for Christ. But if it's done from false motives, it means nothing. It's worthless. This shows you that the essence of what we do needs to be tied into Christ in our motive, in our influence, in the world, in our families, in the church, needs to be derived from Christ. Christ. We're missing this. We're missing this reality today. We need to recapture what it truly means to be a godly man, to be a godly woman, to have a godly marriage, to focus and have our attention on raising godly offspring for the glory of Christ and not hide it under a bunch of ministry, hide it under preaching, hide it under evangelism, hide it under all these titles, these title idols. And miss everything that the Bible is speaking to us of what it truly means to be a godly influence. And this is where we need to go. At least you know what? We're a small church. But it doesn't matter. We still need to be who God has called us to be. In 2 Timothy 3.5, Paul said that they have a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. I mean, this is what we don't want to be. We don't want to have this form of godliness, this pretentious behavior about ourselves, and yet be completely full of dead men's bones. We want to be a true living reality of what it truly means to be transformed by the power of God, to be born from above, to be born again. To live in a way that reflects our God and that He is alive through His people. God shows the world through His church that He's alive. Obviously, everybody on the planet knows that God exists. We know that. And they resist that reality. The point that I'm trying to make this morning, the point from Scripture as far as being a godly influence, the church needs to be the church again. We need to get on the front lines. We need to recapture that authority and that godly witness that we've been commanded to do. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything. 
except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Albert Barnes, the commentator, writes, Ye are the salt of the earth. Salt renders food pleasant and palatable and preserves from putrefying. So Christians, by their lives and instructions, are to keep the world from entire moral corruption. By bringing down the blessing of God in answer to their prayers and by their influence and their example, they save the world from universal vice and crime. In the same way, he says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, you are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Paul's showing and saying and declaring here that we are read by all men. Don't think that you can somehow pretend and put on a show and be plastic and go on and live like that and people aren't going to know the reality of your genuineness. It will ultimately, at the end of the day, come out. Today in many Christian circles, there's a tendency to believe you can live however you want and yet still be considered a Christian. Much of today's church, at least in America, have been bewitched with the false notion that what isn't seen isn't known. Or as the idiom goes, do as I say, but not as I do. It doesn't work in the Christian faith. Because you are influencing people either in the right direction or the wrong direction. You're either influencing your family, your children, in the right direction or the wrong direction. In church here, you're influencing your brothers and sisters either in one direction or another. There's no such thing as neutrality. You're either going one way or we're going the other. quite contrary to what the Bible says. The Bible says nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered. Everything is laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. You know, life is extremely short. It's like a vapor. Here one minute and gone the next. I remember uh, when I was a young boy saying, man, I wonder what it's going to be like to be 20. 20 came fast. Now I'm 51. And time just flies. Soon we're going to be in eternity. And all of this is going to be over. This is why we have to wake up to this reality, get over ourselves, and utilize our time for the glory of Christ. It's His time anyways. It doesn't even belong to us. We don't even belong to ourselves. And many of us get into this view that just because of how smart we are, or how intelligent we are, or how much of the Bible we got memorized, or how much ministry we do, that somehow that justifies us in having a godly influence when it's the furthest thing from the truth. Some of the ugliest, meanest people I've ever met in this world are people who know the Bible inside and out. Some of the most hateful people I know are people that know the Bible inside and out. It's not Bible knowledge that's going to make you a good influence. It's just abiding in Christ and 
and seeing the fruit of your life being manifested wherever you go. Bringing the presence of God wherever you are. We all fall short. We all screw up. We all struggle getting through this. But let's take a sober look at yourselves today. At your own heart. At your own life. Take one moment out of our lives. Pause from pointing at everybody else. And take a moment to examine our own hearts before a holy and righteous God. Asking ourselves, where am I? In the home. Where am I in my house? How do I behave in my home? I'm not saying whether you're grumpy or you're Mr. Happy. That's not the point. The point is that are you living in a way that's honest to the Word of God before your family, before your wife, wives before your husbands? What kind of influence are you to your husband? What kind of influence are you to your wife? What kind of influence are you to your children? These are difficult things to say, and I'm not being condemning, but this is sobering reality for me as well. When I pen this, I pen this to point at myself, to be totally honest with you. But it's true in all respects that we all need to grow in these areas. And a lot of times we can be deceived in thinking we're doing great when we're really not. We're just hiding behind masks. And hopefully today we can, we can repent of that and, and come out of that and begin to operate in the way that would most honor and glorify Christ. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul in the book of Ephesians calls on the children of God to be imitators of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 says, he puts it this way, Be followers of God. The word followers means actually to mimic or to be an imitator. Imitate God. I know it sounds like a lofty call, but if you're going to imitate anyone, why not imitate God? If you're going to imitate anyone, why not imitate Christ? We spend an awful lot of time imitating the world, don't we? An awful lot of time imitating Hollywood, right? We spend a lot of time investing ourselves in things that really don't matter. If we're going to utilize our time for the glory of Christ, we understand that time is short and we want to die well, we want to live well and die well, why not invest that time in mimicking God, Amen. imitating Christ? Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. You hear this one all the time, right? From people. and, and you know, it's, Usually you hear that one when some kid goes astray, right? It's like, hey, they throw that one out there saying he's going to come back. And, you know, we, we obviously always pray that our children will return. But the reality is really is that it's in the training up. You can't control your child. God ultimately does at the end of the day. Obviously, we govern our child in our home, but you can't determine whether that child is going to be saved. You don't know. You're not God. You're not the Holy Spirit. But the reality is we do have a call and a command from God to train up our children, to lead our children, to be a good influence on our children. This is what's commanded. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it is God that decides the direction of that child. Our God is a God of order. He has always dealt with people in, people in patterns. 
and illustration and illustration to reflect himself and to instill confidence in his people as being the Lord who is strong and durable, not unstable, not flexible or pliable, but firm, unchanging, unmovable, a foundation that cannot be moved or destroyed. This is why the Bible says that an unstable man cannot be trusted. He's unstable in all of his ways. And so we want to have the stability. We want, to, we want to mimic God and his stability. The Bible says the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. We worship and trust in a durable God that changes not. And thank God he doesn't. I mean, how awful would that be if God changes his mind every five minutes or is unstable or undurable? we'd be in trouble. There's nothing we could rely on. There'd be no hope. But because our God is durable, that, and that we're to reflect him, our lives as Christians must be durable. God is always faithful. We must be faithful. God is not a liar. We must not be untruthful in our ways. We must imitate the God of the Holy Scripture. God said in Exodus 25, 8, and they are to make a sanctuary, he says, for me, so that I may dwell among them. You must make the tabernacle and design all its furnishings according to the pattern that I show you. First Chronicles 28, 19, he says, All this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me even all the works of this pattern. The tabernacle, the temple. God always had a specific pattern by which he functions. He doesn't slap stuff together and throw things together and throw enough mud on the wall hoping some sticks. God is always a God of order and pattern and design. And when he's designed us, there is a specific pattern in which he has designed us to function by. Obviously, the pattern ultimately is Christ. We abide in Christ. We pull sap. From the vine, but the reality is, is that there is a way that we function as believers. God has a way for us to function in order and durability. And it does not change with the New Testament church. Obviously, we don't go to the temple, we don't go to tabernacles, we don't do all those things. I mean, even Abraham's looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. This is beyond all of the buildings. This is, this is the, the literal body that has been constructed, the body of Christ, the church of Christ, that is made without hands. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is his durability. This is what he's talking about. This is a, a perfect description and definition of what the church should look like. A durable church. That the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. We're an overcoming church. We're a strong church. Why are we strong? Not because we're strong people. But because we serve a strong God who tells us in his word that he is our strength. In Ephesians chapter 2, 19 through 21, 
The Bible says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Obviously, that's a big mouthful. But bringing it all together, we can see that it is the Lord who has been about patterns from the rate from the very beginning. God has order. God has a plan. God has a purpose for everything that he does. And we really become the pattern of God. We really do. The sanctifying pattern of God sanctifies us. We're the church, as he's just explained here, the holy temple of the Lord. Christ being the cornerstone, what holds it all together. And in Titus 2.7, he says, Show yourselves in all respects to be a model, a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity and dignity. And I'd like to point out three application points this morning before we close. Is being a model of good works has three distinct areas that I want to look at quickly and briefly. Number one, picture. Number two, a pattern. And number three, a point. And I'll explain. In Titus 2, 7, it says, show yourself. John MacArthur said, you are the only Bible some unbelievers will ever read. So there is a point in, in, in our influence, uh, in our view of ourselves to others. Does that make sense? It's not that we, we put on a show when we come to church. It's just that there is a picture of ourselves that we present to others, but it's either a picture of falseness, or it's not true, or deception, or it's the truth. But there is definitely a picture, and this is what Paul is telling Titus. Make sure that picture is honest. Make sure the picture of yourself is truthful. Make sure you're functioning in that reality. Philippians 3.17 says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have, have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. This is the picture that he's talking about. This is the picture of the godly man or woman. The godly saint. Those who are truly living for Christ. And I don't say all this in a spirit of perfectionism by any means. Um, we all are being sanctified, right? We're all a work in progress. And we all, as the Bible says, have a different measure of faith. We all got our issues, you know. Some of us do have the dark night of the soul. Others may be struggling in one area or another arena or need to grow in another area. This, this, is, this, this has nothing to do with that point. See, we're going to have struggles. We're going to have difficulties. We're going to have problems. But the reality is it doesn't mean we lose the picture of who we truly are in the midst of those problems. It's remaining godly and honest and truthful and present even in the midst of failure. Because how easy it is for us, right, to default to being a puppet when things go wrong, right? You change or even when things go right, something happens to your pride, and you change. But we're to remain present. We're to remain that picture, 
by which Christ is, has built us in honesty and truth before an all-watching world at all times. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who do the, does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. And this also deals with the, with the, with the preaching of God's word. Is that we're not, we're not handling God's word falsely. That we're preaching the word of God honestly. Because the most damaging thing that you can do to others is to preach a false gospel. To pervert the word of God is the worst, most tragic thing you can do to another person. He's telling us here that the integrity must, must drive the word of God and how we preach the word of God. How we live out the word of God in the world. And this is why you're going to have problems in the world. Because you are different. You do stand out. It's designed that way. The earth was never designed for our comfort. I think that earth, God designed the earth for his elect to be uncomfortable and miserable so it make them look more forward to their home beyond this place. Because this isn't our home. This isn't our home. This is really ultimately at the end of the day, it's a training ground. It's a battlefield, right? We're here to reach, not, not only to encourage one another in our faith to be affirmed, but the Bible's very clear that we are left here for a purpose, and that is to bring the gospel to a lost and dying world. And it's not easy. It's not easy going out into a world that literally hates God, hates your guts, hates the word of God, and expect to get a round of applause. It's not a place you're going to go get a title or a license. It's where you're going to get everything that's going to come against you because they hate God. It's the most unpopular thing to do. It's the most unrewarding thing you'll ever do in the world's eyes, but the greatest thing you'll ever participate in God's eyes. I can't think of a more enjoyable thing to do than to win another person to Christ. I can't think of a more enjoyable thing to do than to preach the gospel to the lost. There's nothing that satisfies that inward void of our humanity as a believer than to love our neighbor in the sense of giving them the true gospel of Jesus Christ, even at the expense of our reputation. And you will suffer for the gospel's sake. You will be persecuted. You live in a world the way Christ has called us and commanded us to live in this world that is against Him. You're going to have issues. Why? Because you're going to stick out because you're doing the right thing in the midst of a world that's obviously against the things of God. The second point, quickly, is the pattern. Follow God's example. It says in Ephesians 5, Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no, no immoral, impure, or greedy person... Such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Bad company corrupts good character. Let us be extremely watchful in the kind of company that we keep. 
Let's be very careful that we're not calling ourselves Christians, but outside of these doors, you're living just like the world. Talking like the world, acting like the world, taking on everything that the world does, but yet in church you come in and you act like you're just the holiest person that ever walked on this planet. We can all put on a good show here at church, can't we, on Sunday? But as soon as those doors open and we go home for the rest of the week, what does that look like when no one else is around? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness and lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Paul said to Timothy, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but be an example, he says. Be an example. Be that picture for the believers in speech and in conduct and love and in faith and purity. That's the example that he's setting. Don't set the example of the world in front of your kids or the church or the world around you. They're going to look at you and say, oh, I was a Christian. Philippians 1.27 says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or whether I remain absent, I should hear that you are standing in one spirit by contending together with one mind for the faith of the gospel. 2 Thessalonians 3, 7 says, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our, what? Example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. This is where we're at. Offering a model worthy of imitation. Which brings us to the last point is the point. What is the point? Do we just carelessly live through this world and just be good for the sake of being good? Is that what it's all about? I mean, that's humanism, right? Obviously, our motive is for the glory of God, but what does that look like? 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. He's saying everything you do, do it for the glory of God, but we don't, right? You'll hear people, you know, get into ministry or get into certain things, and they just say, well, I'm just doing this for the glory of God. No, you're not. You're doing it for the glory of men because you love to be seen by men. You love the applause of men. Or you're doing it for financial gain. There's other motives involved. But if you're going to say you're doing it for the glory of God, do it for the glory of God, but don't hide behind that statement just so you can go off and live worldly. Be honest with yourself. At least this morning, at the start, we all need to start over. I know I fail in many areas. And this sermon is very clearly pointing at me as well. We all need to hit the reset button. This nation needs it. It's really about being a model for God. We can be a model for everything else. And if you don't believe that statement, just look at your Instagram page. Which is the golden calf of our culture. 
It really is. You want to see the most fakest performance in the world, just get on Instagram. Facebook has become the hood now of social media, which only seems used for Christians to slander each other. Honestly, I really can't take Facebook anymore, to be honest with you. I mean, I've been on Facebook for years, but I very rarely now can even stomach even getting on there for five minutes. As soon as I get on there, it's two bickering Christians slandering each other in front of the watching world. It's just that over and over and over again to the point you just get disgusted with it and just wash your hands with all of it. The point is this. Your life is designed and patterned for one purpose, and that is to glorify God for what? For God. And to reflect His goodness through His people to the world around us, which includes the church. Even the world, in Titus 2.8 it says, in sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. This is like your workplace. You're going to work. You have a job. Do you cheat on your time? Are you always late? Are you punctual? Do you talk like a sailor when you're around the rest of the group there? What's your attitude towards work? Do you submit to authority? Are you arrogant and cocky and rebellious to everyone you come in contact with? These are huge things in the eyes of God. Well, I witness at work. Well, are you being dishonoring to authority? Well, you know, as if his gospel preaching supersedes the honoring of authority. I'm going to dishonor authority so I can preach the gospel. We've just destroyed your gospel witness and your integrity and your character. Our influence isn't about us. It's not about our achievements or wherever we find our identity. Honestly, no one really cares about our titles or our achievements anyways. So flashing those around isn't going to make a bit of difference if your integrity shot. They want honesty, genuineness, love, and yes, even failure. Believe it or not. Your failures. Our life isn't about success. It's about being faithful to Christ and to those around us. Christianity is about dying to self. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, Jesus bids us to come and die. Jesus does the same thing. It's a call to discipleship, at least true discipleship. Take up the bloody instrument of death called the cross daily. And then we not only live in truth, but we are honestly present. Why? Because we've stopped caring about what everyone thinks of us. We are dead to this world, at least its opinions and standards, and it's about a legacy and for the glory of Christ. Joshua told the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you should tell you, let your children know Israel passed over the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. This is it. This is why we exist. Obviously to glorify God and to leave a legacy behind us. When our children ask us, not so much about God delivering us out of Egypt and from Pharaoh splitting the Red Sea, which is, you know, the story that they always revert back to is our salvation story. 
to their children. This is the God whom we love, the God whom we fear, and the God you must fear and obey. This is what he did for us. They always go back to that. For the Christian, you know, that's an illustration of the gospel. That God delivered us out of the hands of Pharaoh, Satan himself, delivered us out of the clutches of hell. And redeemed us and has given us eternal life. And this is the Christ we must preach to our children. But it's also the Christ we must live before our children, before a watching world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that opens our eyes and gives us the ability to see and gives us ears to hear. Lord, I pray today that we would that we'd be quickened by Your Word this morning and realize, Lord, that many of us have not been what we say that we are. So, Lord, I ask today that You'd grant us repentance and faith, Lord, that we would turn away from the pretending and the fakeness and the falseness we would die to ourselves this morning. As Paul said, I die daily, that we would die today, that we may truly live honestly before you, O God, and before others. And this I pray in Christ's name. Amen.